Hello and welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. Today we'll speak with Ed W. from the This Ungodly Hour group in Brooklyn, New York. Ed shares his experience, strength, and hope, and his ideas of what makes a WAFT meeting a WAFT meeting and what a WAFT meeting should be called. Good morning, Ed. How you doing? Morning, John. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, Beautiful morning in Brooklyn right now, and I'm just waking up as uh as you know i i, I my home group meets 11 p.m to midnight friday <laughs> yeah i should have thought about that when we scheduled the time for this thing. oh no it's all it's all good i like getting up this early and doing things so yeah good. yeah i i like the mornings and we're actually having a perfect day here too it looks like fall is uh getting ready to start for us so anyway right. i thought ed that um there's a lot I want to talk to you about. Um, you know, I, I, I've never talked to you before, but I've, I get a lot of emails from you about what's going on in your group in Brooklyn. Um, you've got this article in AA Beyond Belief that we're going to be publishing um, just before this podcast um, airs. And also just the, the meeting itself and, and your story. So if you don't mind, would you like to start just by going into your story about oh, the, what it was like, what mm-hmm. happened? What, the what standard like. routine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I grew up. I grew up here in in New York, typical New York style family upbringing. If you've ever watched, like everybody's love, everybody loves Raymond or any of those TV shows. Yeah, uh, with typical New York dysfunction, and uh, how that led to alcohol was 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 a little bit of a long road in and of itself. Uh, as a growing up as a teenager, I was in a, you know, it, it was a rite of passage for kids to get drunk at twelve at, at keggers in the park and. You know, I kind of avoided that. I kind of lived a, a bit of a straight edge, like punk rocker lifestyle throughout high school that didn't uh, didn't survive college. I got to when I got to college, that's when my drinking got bad. I was binge drinking every night, right, right out, like not right out the bat, but like within the first six months of college, I was just a very heavy drunk. I uh, mm. didn't consider myself an alcoholic then. But I definitely considered myself an alcoholic way before I stepped into uh, the rooms of AA. I drank yeah. incessantly. And then I come back to New York. I, I start working. I go to grad school. Um, you know, I'm working full time uh, back here in the, in the city. And I thought at that point, you know, around age 23, 24, 25, that I had my drinking under control. Um, and I realized now I just had it on a schedule. Mm-hmm. I'd still go out every night. I'd still get... Um, fairly wasted on weekends and always have a good beer buzz, you know, at the bar every night. But I knew to like, you know, to stop myself, just have enough to wake up, go to work and then go back and hang out at the bar that night. So was it manageable? It it depends. It depends on how you look at it. Yeah. Um, And this went on for years until it was actually, I can, I know the date, St. Patty's day, 2010. I was working in, at a place in midtown Manhattan Mm-hmm. Uh, they needed us on the job, so I couldn't take off to go, go to the parade, uh, the St. Patrick's Day parade that goes up Fifth Avenue every year. And uh, so I decided to bring St. Patrick's Day to work. Uh, went down to like your, uh, you know, your, your one of the drugstore chains, uh, picked up two uh, Toll Boys, so I believe it was Coors, and proceeded to drink that in the restroom at work. Mm-hmm. It had a good buzz going. Uh, it didn't last, you know, it lasted as long as any, you know, 48 ounce uh, beer buzz would. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I just started drinking again that night. And then I realized, Oh, I could drink at work. So I would be drinking constantly sneaking down to drink beers at work. Uh, beers turn into vodka. I had the kind of job where I could sit at my desk 
and do it drunk, sad to say. I, I don't think I was fooling everybody, but it was enough. I was enough to get away with it. And it, that got progressively worse. That's where my that's that's where I, they say in the meetings I was off to the races. Yeah. Because then it just turned into me waking up at seven in the morning, drinking, mm-hmm. like, and drinking vodka, mixing vodka with whatever I could, coffee, tea, uh, slushies. And when I couldn't get vodka, I would get beer. I also like, this is when Four Loco came out. I don't know if you're familiar with it. That was the malt liquor that was flavored like Jolly Ranchers and had caffeine in it. So it was like a Red yeah. Bull. And a <laughs> That's one I've one. never heard of. <laughs> Uh, it was yeah, and I remember that in a couple of years ago, the FDA actually had to take took took them off the shelves uh-huh. because you couldn't have alcohol and caffeine in 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 one drink. It, oh, that's interesting. Think about you know the government was I guess <laughs> you know, for us. <laughs> I personally like alcohol and ca- caffeine. I mean, drugs are also part of my story. Sure, but at this point, you know, it was mostly it was mostly marijuana uh-huh. and um, but a, a ton of alcohol, and yep. I would use. I wasn't you know. I would do cocaine a couple of times and I just realized this is kind of expensive and mostly boring. Uh, and if I needed to stay, you know, if I just needed to stay up all night, I could just drink a ton of coffee. So I would do that. So I would mix caffeine with, with uh, my booze just so I could go to work. Mm-hmm. So I could be drunk and go to work, but be all, like quote unquote alert enough to quote unquote function. Right. And this was bad. And then a lot, there were a lot of blackouts. There was a, um, a lot of scares and within a year of, of this i decided i decided to try to stop and go to my first aa meeting okay and it was a traditional meeting um in my old neighborhood in brooklyn and i wouldn't you know i won't put the meeting on blast uh because okay. i've been back it's a good meeting but the time i went um i had no problem with the meeting itself the speaker told a story everybody went around the room and shared they didn't mm-hmm. get around to me but I was, I just, you know, said this is my first AA meeting. Everybody clapped. It's very encouraging. Mm-hmm. And I got that whole, you know, we'll love you too. Well, you know, to you learn to love yourself vibe. Right. But it was, and we closed with the serenity prayer. And I didn't even have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. I'll get into my religious upbringing and yep. thoughts on that later. But I was like, okay, I can deal with all this. It was right after the meeting when four or five guys came up to me. And that's when I discovered uh, what I coined uh, the unsolicited advice brigade. Yeah. <laughs> UAB. Yeah. <laughs> that secret society in AA uh-huh. that likes to dictate everybody else's recovery. Right. Um, and I'm sure they mean well. Unsolicited but it, advice brigade. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, once it has a name, then you can, you can, you know, you can address it and address yeah. the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I use it. So you never know who's someone who's who's a member till it's too late. Cause they all came up to me and they were just like, yo, you're going to go to this meeting tomorrow. You got to get a sponsor. We're oh. going to read the big book and yeah. check. And I just like, I need a drink. Yeah. Uh, and I realized that, you know, if, when you cloak the suggestions as commands to a newcomer, it's just going to be very, it's very off putting. I mean, I realized now that they were trying to be very helpful, but that, you know, that pushiness just didn't work. Yeah, it doesn't. So back to my drinking, I'm, I'm drinking for, uh, my drinking patterns stay the same and they get progressively worse where I was just, you know, I, I would just wake up, you know, typical what you hear in New York city, coffee's in New York city. Like I woke up, you know, at the end of the subway, you know, at four Mm -hmm. in the morning or, you know, in a neighborhood I didn't know, um, came home. I would, you know, my loved ones, the people I was living with, I was, you know, I was scaring them with, with my blackouts and, 
it was really, really bad. And also during the, there were times when I would white knuckle it, like for holidays or special occasions, I wasn't, I wasn't getting to, you know, I wouldn't get hammered. I'd actually, you know, teetotal it for a day or two. Uh, but the minute like the, any the special occasion or any obligations were over, you know, and it was a regular day, I'd be back. I'd be back to my uh, my old drinking habits, you know, pints of vodka on end. And this culminated into like New Year's Eve. I was actually had a quiet New Year's Eve at home. Didn't go out. Didn't drink. Mm-hmm. You know, really actually enjoyed it. But then New Year's uh, New Year's Day that morning. This is like 2013, January first, 2013. I just had to run a quick errand uh, at one of the at one of the places that were still open. So I'm walking through my neighborhood. I pass by uh, a gas station of all places to get you know two more Coors Tall Boys to just start start my day. And that quickly led to me finding whatever liquor store was open that day. And I just kind of went around, like rode the trains around Brooklyn and Lower Manhattan, completely wasted and yeah. just. And it was very dangerous. You know, what I did was very dangerous because I did it in public. Mm-hmm. I you know the the crazy, emotionally disturbed people that they talk about in New York. Um, yeah. I was one of them when I drank. <laughs> okay. I don't remember so much, but this is what, you know, yeah. how, how just loud and belligerent and obnoxious okay. I got. So that, 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 that alone was dangerous. But I did this for about two days. And even after the first day of waking up and realizing what I had done, with a really bad hangover and they were getting worse. I was waking up in the morning, you know, three in the morning, uh, after these vendors constantly, you know, with a really huge headache, mm-hmm. unable to go back to sleep. It was really, it was taking a physical toll on me. Yeah. And after the second day of this, after just running around New York, completely drunk, I, uh, I, I just woke up to, to really, I, I, I don't know what the, the actual, what the actual symptoms or phenomena was. I don't know if it mm-hmm. was the shakes or the DTs. I haven't looked into it. Mm-hmm. I just felt myself with a huge headache. Yeah. Feel all the effects of a hungover of a hangover. I'm still drunk. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of feel my body starting from like the extremities of my hands and my limbs, just kind of shut down. Like everything just started going numb. And that's when I just kind of realized that if I continue this, I was dying. I had the thought, you know, I like, I tell people say they had the voice and you know, I don't know where the voice of the thought came from, but it was just very clear that it, the voice said no more. Yeah. So you went back to AA after that? I went, yes, this is when I went back in. It was, uh, I was living in a different neighborhood. Uh, like one of those neighborhoods that, you know, maybe five years ago was someplace like people, they said, don't step foot in, but now everybody's living here, mm-hmm. uh, which is happening a lot all, all around the city. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I, I walked around, I, I just kind of dried out for three days before I found, finally decided to find a meeting. And I looked for, there was one in my neighborhood and I went there. It was a Saturday morning, mm-hmm. like January 5th. And I walked into this church rectory and it was just, it was, the room was just me and two old, two old dudes who like probably, you know, who've been from the, the neighborhood or, mm-hmm. you know, adjoining neighborhoods, uh, who had some time. And it was a small meeting. I guess this is a this is a kind of neighborhood where this is a neighborhood where it's a more more Spanish Latin population. Mm-hmm. So like the Latin the, the Spanish speaking A and A meetings there were rarely packed. The English one wasn't so much. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just happy, I guess, to have one extra guest, and I was just happy to talk to somebody. So yeah. 
one guy led the meeting, the other guy gave his qualification and I shared and it was a good, it was good because I just kind of was, I had some time. They didn't yeah. have a three to five minutes. We had an hour and three people. So I was able to talk for, for 20 minutes saying like, this is my second AA meeting ever. I really want to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know about making 90 minutes, 90 days or this God stuff. I just want to, I just want to stop. Right. And instead of getting the unsolicited advice brigade, and this was, mind you, these are both, you know, traditional meetings that close right. with prayer. These, the one of the guy who's chairing it, who I still talk to today, was like, just relax. Don't worry about all that stuff. <laughs> all you have to do is not drink today. Can you do that? It's like, sure. And it's like, I can do that. He said, don't worry about God. It's all about finding a God of your understanding, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. And I, and I realized then I could put that part on the shelf. And then, yeah. The, the last, the other guy who spoke said, "Can you you want to come with me to a meeting uh, across the way to, uh, tonight?" And I was like, "I can't make a meeting tonight." And he was like, "And instead of like giving the the push, like, well, you got to make a meeting." He's mm-hmm. like, "Okay, cool." But he did ask, "Can you make a meeting at this hospital tomorrow morning at Bedside?" And I said, "Sure, I'll meet you tomorrow." And I went to a meeting. It was an anniversary meeting. This woman had like twenty seven years. It was the, the, the cafeteria. It was in the cafeteria of this hospital, and the room mm-hmm. was packed. And uh, it's a great Sunday morning speakers meeting. And uh, it was kind of cool. I just kind of felt, I felt the love. I felt the caring. I didn't, you know, this is, you know, and this was like a, I de- definitely, you know, a church going crowd, but they weren't in the, they were, they were, they, you know, they would praise God and, G- and Jesus in, in instances, but I didn't feel like they were trying to direct, tell everybody else how to, how to pray or. That's interesting, though, but they would actually openly in the meeting specifically talk about. I know there's some there's some people who would just be like, yeah, my higher power who I choose to call Jesus Christ. Wow. Yeah. You know, you know that and was hardly ever, ever heard when I was very first starting out. I guess that's happening more often now. Kind of weird. And that's it's weird. And, and I can respect that when they're, you know, when they're talking about themselves and I don't, you know. Yeah, you got to give them the freedom to do it, I guess. Find you for you to find Jesus. Um, but at this point. What clicked for me as far as doing, pro, you know, this this program being part of this fellowship was okay. I'll make ninety meetings in ninety days, and because I realized, okay, I went to I went to one meeting and then I went to another one. Let me find some more in the neighborhood. Let me find some more in the city, and I realized. And what's great about a, a city like New York, where there's like thousands upon thousands of meetings, mm-hmm. is you get, you definitely get variety, and you can definitely find the groups of meetings that you vibe with and the ones that you don't, but it's sure. worth finding them all out, especially in the beginning. God. So, and I guess within, but I definitely was hearing a lot of God stuff and the turning it over and this, these things I didn't understand. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I just like went on the, on the Googles and I said, okay, well, atheists in AA or, and, and I read, Oh, I did have a copy of the big book and I, I read through up to, up to like chapter three or four, whatever we right. Or we agnostics, and I remember like the beginning of we agnostics. It's like, oh, you know, I'm like, you know, and I told <laughs> W God either. Okay, I, I was kind of following this, and then he just goes into, well, yeah, you know, like, I, I forget exactly, and I, I might be jumbling this with the twelve and twelve, even though I've done the steps and read this stuff. It right. Like, oh, electricity and steel and and, and steel <laughs> structures. So there must be a God, and <laughs> uh, yeah, and I was like, I don't get this. Yeah, and it was that. It was that and going to my first, you know, handful of meetings that first week where I was um, just kind of like, I don't, I don't get this. I, I was raised Catholic and long before I quit drinking, I quit Catholicism. I, okay. I just don't have a, a fir- I just didn't have a firm belief in, 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 
the the tenets of it, of it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it, there's I mean, there's 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 definitely gems and and uh, good lessons you can take from Christianity, like you can from any religion. But that sure. whole that whole this really happened, yeah, uh, motif that you're supposed to get into. I I just I couldn't be I wasn't down with. So I I don't identify as a Catholic anymore. I identify as an agnostic because I just you know I don't have mm-hmm. a belief either way and. You know, it 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 doesn't really. I kind of take the Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, approach that doesn't really matter right. at, at, at the end. But whatever anybody wants to believe is cool with me. Right. So I Google this is a weekend. I Google like atheist and AA and the agnosticaa.nyc.org yeah. website. Agnostic AA, New York Agnostic AA website pops up and it's oh agnostic AA meetings in New York City. And at that time they were like. Six or seven, one in Brooklyn, really? uh, two. Wow. Greenwich Village. How long ago was that, Ed? This was nine, 2013. Wow, that's amazing. So, and I remember that that was even a big number. I think, you know, two or three years before that, they had three or like two or three, three or four. I don't know. You yep. Aspic or somebody else. Yeah. That's, that's, that's incredible how much it's grown this last couple of years. Someone else from New York might know the history a little better. I know it's been written upon. Yep. Um, but that's so I go to the, the, the Thursday noon, the, the Agnostics and Noon group, which is Thursdays, 12 p.m. at the LGBT Center at 13th mm-hmm. Street. That was the very first one. Greenwich Village, Manhattan. Yeah. And I and what I heard there was kind of what I needed to hear. It's very much. And I like to always say a little aside, people that talk about the difference between agnostic or traditional AA meetings. And I, I for me, I always say, well, agnostic meetings are traditional meetings in a lot of ways, yes. you know, for as much as, you know, there was the Akron camp of like, follow the 12 steps and find God to get sober. There was always, there was always a camp mainly out of New York led by Bill sometimes yeah. saying, you know, all you have to do is not drink and go to meetings. That's right. And there's people, hardcore people in the, in the 12 step program would be like, Oh, that's not AA. That's, you know, I'm like, well, what are you doing here? Every week? <laughs> you know, you just go home and read your books and you don't have to come if, it, if, this, right, if this whole right. <laughs> and it was it was just cool i just heard what i needed to hear about people who didn't believe in god who necessarily didn't do the steps but they had you know years sober mm-hmm. and i was like well this is i'm like this is my people like i'm definitely i like doing things my own way i just want to stay sober i didn't have time for this this is the steppy bs so i just started finding these meetings uh, Brooklyn Sober Agnostics, which used to meet, they're meeting at Long Island College Hospital at the time. That was, right. I made that my home group. So, you know, you you are right, I think, that um, that we are kind of traditional AA. I, There's, yeah, like, <laughs> just to back, to back to that, yeah, it was like, you know, before there was a big book or a general service office or yeah. a conference, there was, it was just Bill and Bob and a payphone and a cup of coffee. That That's was, right. you know, they were just. You know that was re- that's how it started, and then they built this whole. That's as basic as you uh, can get. It was it was it, that was the and that was always the key ingredient. I think of AA was the common ex- sharing of common experience. Absolutely, and they just built this litany and liturgy around it. Yeah, so they it around the around the world. So, just to to top off my story, like so, things got really really good for me. Uh-huh. Um. At, at getting sober, like I just without getting too much into personal details outside alcoholism, like definitely like job life improved, my home yep. life. So all the things that AA promised from just not drinking were coming true. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of I started doing a lot of service. I was a GSR. Mm-hmm. Um, 
with 90 days, even though like wow. years and I was going to some of the meetings and I, I definitely learned how to hook, you know, connect things by sending a lot of email. Mm-hmm. I wasn't always the best AA. Um, I'd also say like, I wasn't always complete. I wasn't completely sober. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my first year I was still smoking pot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was open about it and I would get different people say, well, you know, some people said it matters and a lot more people would say you're not really sober. Yeah. Um, I didn't care. And I got off. It just took a year, a year for me to quit smoking, quit smoking mm-hmm. cigarettes and then quit smoking pot. Mm-hmm. It's become fully clean. It's over. And now in retrospect, I kind of, you know, some things happened in my life where I just had to like reassess my sobriety and I realized, well, you know, I, when I quit everything, yeah, I was smoking pot. So I marked my sobriety date as March 1st, 2014 and okay. not January 2013. Although I say that that year and a half, not drinking and going to meetings and being a part of AA is still worthwhile. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, so fast forward. So one thing about, I like the Saturday, um, the Saturday meeting in Brooklyn, but for me with my work schedule, it was, you know, Saturday sometimes my only day off and I would be spending the entire day, you know, training at across Brooklyn to go to this meeting and then coming back. And I realized I just needed something at a more convenient time. And at the time it's still Case. most of the or most of the most of the agnostic meetings either are usually at peak a what i call peak aa time yeah there are meetings at, in at noon or at 6 p.m when people are getting off of work yep at least in new york that's kind of you know when most of the meetings kind of around here too six seven eight six seven you know people get off of work they want to go to a meeting and go to uh and go to bed because they're no longer yeah. partying it's understandable right. yeah that doesn't that doesn't work for all of us right right <laughs> Um, I'm still, I still have a night out. I I can still stay up very late. Um, so I was looking for more of a, like a late night meeting. And I realized after at least having a year without booze and becoming fully clean and sober that I go ahead and try to find, um, um, a star start and either in lower Manhattan or Brooklyn Uh around, uh, you know, later at night. So people who work me. So, and I was, and I was originally thinking, yeah, something between eight and ten, you know, or yeah. nine o'clock would be perfect. And uh, I went to uh, Mount Carmel Church in Williamsburg, which has like thirty different AA meetings mm-hmm. or something. I'm not kind of, There's, if they got like the, the the church has been very accommodating to AA. So like, there's a group of groups in the morning, groups in midday, groups at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like the vibe there. It's definitely a younger, you know, a younger crowd, you know, people in their twenties, thirties and forties and mm-hmm. your typical like artist, hipster, <laughs> uh, vibe, what you get at, what do you get at, what you get at Williams? you know, what you'd expect from a meeting in Williamsburg. A okay. lot of uh, in a cool, and, uh, I remember going to a lot of meetings there. I've been like, this would be a good place. This would be a good place for at a, a you know, to start an agnostic meeting. I yeah. Thought, Cause there was, uh, you know, I said a lot of young people, uh-huh. a lot of, different ideas and opinions um see every even though a lot of people seem very traditional even these young people seem very traditional and i, I realized that they, they'd be open they'd be open to it and the, and the church was open to it too yeah the problem was the schedule was full and i realized the only slots that were really open were like friday and saturday night around 11 p.m mm-hmm. and i just thought to myself at first i wasn't down with that i was like that that is really late and i just said who would go who would go to such a digital meeting uh-huh. at such an ungodly hour? <laughs> when the minute it came, that, that came out of my, that, that came out of my head, I was like, "That's it." Yeah. I remember just thinking, like, 
I'm going to call it this ungodly hour. Yeah. And we're going to do it. And just, just having that name and people have said like, Oh, it's the, one of the best names I've ever heard of. A yeah, meeting. it is. Absolutely. Is. <laughs> <laughs> people love the, I mean, people who are tr- very traditional in AA, you tell them the, the origin behind the name and they just love it. They're like, uh-huh. So, you know, there's actually, I think, a pretty, I think there's a need for these late night meetings. Um, when I was very first getting sober, I went to a, gosh, I went to a 10 o'clock meeting and I also went to a, a midnight meeting. I mean, in the very first month, weeks of my sobriety, because I needed to. I mean, I, I absolutely had to be in meetings at the time. But um, the last time I answered the central office telephone, which was just like, I don't know, last month, I guess, I had like... I don't know, four or five people asking for midnight meetings. And we just don't have that many of them anymore. We used to, but we yeah. don't. But yeah, people Even, are, that's when people are kind of um, freaking out sometimes at night, you know? We have a few good ones in Manhattan, but go like, we, the, the most famous one is Midnight Group, you know, M I G N I T E. And they, they meet, they have meetings from like 5 p.m. till 2 in the morning. Uh, but they started as a midnight meeting in, in the West Village. And, uh, that, that's a very interesting meeting. I always suggest people when you're in New York, check that one out for sure. Okay. Uh, so back. So I get them. Um, I talk to a few people. Um, one of the guys who, uh, who spoke at the first, this ungodly hour meeting decided to keep coming back because it fit into his schedule mm-hmm. very well. Um, and him and I basically, um, kind of like, like started ungodly hour together because we were sometimes the only two first two people there for a long time. Even though, like, I and mean, we just, we kind of uh, follow two very big meetings. There's a re- really huge meeting a few blocks away, Fridays at 8 p.m., uh, called the Northside Group that meets in an auditorium in Williams. It's a big, huge auditorium in Williamsburg, and like, most people go to that. And then there's a Friday night uh, beginners meeting in the basement of Mount Carmel Church where we meet from 9.30 to 10.30. So, and so most, you know, most people go to that mm-hmm. in you just realize when the party's over, yeah, people go to sleep and there's only a, hand, a, a select handful of us who are still insomniacs who right. go up and need a meet. So it was, it would always be like, you know, we started out with six people and sometimes we would dip down to three. You know, it was never just, you know, two, two of us. There would always mm-hmm. be at least one person. So we always had like, a, you know, you obviously can take at least three people to have a real meeting and we always mm-hmm. had that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it was about it. It took a year before it actually finally found its its sea legs. And I realized that people, I guess we'll get to this later, is like a lot of people just didn't know what an agnostic meeting was and right. wasn't sure. AA. So it's uh, so it was just slow to attract people. Yeah. But over time, people got to um, got to know it and got to really like it. Um, because and then I think each agnostic meeting has you know different flavors, and some definitely are more especially here in New York are very more hardcore atheists. You know, mm-hmm. I hate building up you. Oh, really? um, I'm, I'm joking. I mean, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm yeah. making a joke. To, to okay. You know, people who are very, you know, anti, anti got it. Yeah. Program and vocally about it. And that's cool. Like yeah. I definitely respect that. Um, ungodly hours is more, it's a little more in the middle. Like there's definitely people who are not with the program, but right. there's also people who are, Program. Because we're in a you know because we're in a neighborhood where a lot of there's a, in a room there's a lot of meetings there's a lot of overlap so you know we try to like we try to like be very ecumenical in our approach like we don't care what you believe or don't believe whether or not you do the steps and I think that's right. the essence of it but you know if you need a meeting there's one here you know the only thing is there's no prayer 
Right. So to tie this in with my stories, I actually, after a year or two, I know after two years of going to AA meetings, I finally decided to get a sponsor. Another, I had a sponsor the first time, the great, a great guy who, you know, was atheist 26 years or 29 years sober. I'm not sure exactly the number, but 20 plus years sober, you know, never did the steps, you know, just, he says he's not really part of the program. He's just part of the fellowship. He knows, you know, mm-hmm. knows what, knows what AA is for him. And I remember he was like, I asked to be my sponsor early on. He's like, Oh, I don't know if I could help you. I've never done the, you know, I've never done the steps. I don't know what I could say or do. And I'm like, that's exactly what I want. So I was looking for the anti UAB. And I was also the people in the, in the unsolicited device brigade were asking me, well, do you have a sponsor? Do you have a sponsor? And I was like, okay, okay I guess I got to get a sponsor. So I found the most on AA sponsor I, I could find first on who's still someone I, you know, talk to and, and respect. Uh, but two years later, I realized I didn't actually fire my first sponsor, but I just had to start working with the guy who knew the steps. And I found someone who uh, was wonderful, who's very like, he says, like, I'm I'm orthodox, but I'm not dogmatic. So he's like, we do the steps, we, we read them as written, we uh-huh. go through all the situations, but I'm not expecting anyone to, to change their belief system. So I all could right. get down with that. So I went through the journey of the 12 steps uh-huh. as an agnostic, um, and I, I found it helpful. I think for me, I, like, I think people say, oh, you got to do, do the steps or, or, or you won't get sober. Yeah. I'm more of like, the steps very helpful for many reasons, but I find the only thing necessary still for staying sober is not drinking and going to meetings. That's the bottom line. Steps are a good blueprint though. They're for me, they're like a good framework for me to operate under. Yeah. Stay sober, stay off booze, find Mm -hmm. a meeting. Yep. That's, uh, that's paramount. But so I guess getting a little bit into, um, so ungodly hours taken off and, it, we, you know, we're always, it's still a small meeting. We always have like 10 to 20 people, but it's Damn, that's a big, that's a big meeting as far as I'm concerned. That's, we that's have like, meeting, we have like know. 15, um, to 20 at our, at ours on a pretty regular basis. And that's so a normal, most meetings are like that. Then you yeah. have like the big, which are more like 40, 50 people Then oh, in New wow. York ones with the, you know, stadiums. I got to go to one of those one of these days. I've never really been to a big, huge meeting before. We used to have a pretty big size meeting in Kansas City. Like a long, when I was very first starting, we had a speaker meeting on Sunday that would draw maybe a hundred people or so. But we just don't have very many many of those big, big meetings any, around here. Yeah, I, I reckon when you in New York, we there's a few, and I know there's a few, there's like a few groups. Like I won't mention them by name because a okay. lot of a lot of people in agnostic AA tend to poo poo them. I've been to those to those big meetings where they're very orthodox and by the book. Uh huh. You know, some people question how you know they they how hardcore they are, but I yeah. really appreciate their structure and like what I call their production values because they really put on great meetings. And I yeah. so I still tell people this is when you're in New York, you can go to go to meetings in different neighborhoods, go to yeah. different types of meetings. Go to one hardcore big book bumper meeting. Go to it's, one. Of it's kind of funny, shit. Ed. Um, I, I, me and my wife, we go to New York every once in a while, and uh, usually because she she works at a museum, so we always go to like all the goddamn museums, right? Well, now mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I'm I'm like really interested in AA. I'm like I, I'm like, okay, honey, you go to museums. I think I'm gonna go to all the AA meetings. <laughs> so I'm gonna go like on an AA tour next time I go to New York. <laughs> kind of funny. Oh, it's one. <laughs> but it's I find it interesting just- all the different types of meetings. I, I'm fascinated by it. Because even if you like, people say like, you know, and I, I realize that in smaller towns, like you know that that meeting at the, you know at the church in the middle of town is maybe like the only meeting people can go to. Yeah, 
Yeah. And uh, we're, I just feel we're very lucky here in New York um, to have so many, like, if you don't like it, if you don't like the meeting you went to, you can go, you yeah. can walk yeah. down a couple of blocks and find another meeting. Yep. Really just, yeah, this, this is a good city to get sober in for, for that reason. Mm-hmm. Also, I guess uh, the other thing I, I just want to talk about before we get into the, the note, the note for in the article mm-hmm. is just like how I found a higher power that keeps me sober. Okay. A higher power who I choose to call rarely, if ever. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the joke I like to use uh, when I, whenever I call, especially a traditional meeting. It's like, I'm sober with the grace of a higher power who I choose to call. Oh, really? Whatever. <laughs> never really. I never really call him. Yeah. <laughs> him, I'm her, it. Um, but what I realized, and this was actually, and I'm going back to like the old, the, the old time, you know, the old time traditional meetings back here in Brooklyn that I went, you know, my neighborhood in Brooklyn, I went to where people were very church going and mm-hmm. very traditional. I would still meet people, you know, older, old timers who would say, oh yeah, you go to those agnostic meetings. And one guy, I remember one guy saying like, oh, well, you know, I understand it's all about finding a higher power of your understanding or no, didn't say higher power, he said a God of your understanding. And for some, that's just no God at all. Yep. And when he said that, my head just exploded. I was just like, thank you, sir. Yep. <laughs> because that really, when it comes to, when you read the, the language of the steps, then came to believe in a power greater than ourselves, you know, in step two, and then God as we understand it. Well, I think if you're going to truly accept everybody, a God of everybody's understanding, for some people that just, that is going to be no God. Yeah, um, I haven't read Ernie Kurtz's books yet, and I, I haven't delved into that, but I will one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of appreciate that that you know that they put in that language, or you know Jim B or whoever was very adamant about you know it's got to be God of our understanding if we're going to talk about this God stuff. Yeah. That was that was the most progressive I think get in night in the late thirties. I think so too. Uh, they, they, I think they were making an effort to temper down the Oxford Group stuff a little bit. Um, even in places in the Big Book, you'll notice they'll say that if the guy you're talking to isn't very religious, you know, don't don't come straight forward yeah, with all the God chapter, stuff. That's chapter seven and working with others. Mm-hmm. When I when I read that chapter at a Big Book meeting, so I usually go to a, I go to a meeting, I find the, the Big Blue Book. I usually am like, oh poo, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I remember I went to a meeting and they read I read chapter seven and I realized that that really kind of opened my eyes too. I was like, okay, cool, I can get down with this. Yeah. When it comes to step two. Step two doesn't mention God. It mentions it doesn't even mention higher power. It just says power greater than right ourselves and for me i've just kind of said well that's just reality that's just the world we live in or the universe we live in some i think you know the chinese call it the Tao mm-hmm. or the path um some people will say well this is god's creation i'm like okay i mean but i i, I what I, I can't see god i don't know what it is but i do know that the world uh follows uh, certain certain rules you know the laws of nature the laws mm-hmm. of physics so it's if I drank, there's I'm most likely to go back down the path of, of uh, untreated alcoholism. Just as and that just as clearly as if I jump off a ledge, I'm gonna fall. I'm right. not gonna I'm not gonna run like wily e. coyote for six seconds and then realize that gravity exists and then plummet. Right. Right. And and that also works towards powerlessness. So for me, like steps one, two, and three boil down to that old day slogan life on life's terms. Mm-hmm. So, and I just, you know, so I, I try to carry that message. Like, you know, people say, oh, you know, God, you, your higher power has either, you know, or at least what will be the takeaway from a lot of people sharing in AA meetings, like your higher power either has to be God 
or this mythical concoction, right. or it has to be some fetish or totem like a doorknob mm-hmm. or a set of keys or mm-hmm. something. You know, and I I don't definitely understand there's a need to like, you know, give these things representations. But I always tell people like, well, it's just all around you. It, it's here. It's living in reality, right? Instead of living in the the I guess I could call the set the fantasy world of self will that no matter what I do, I will not suffer the consequences. Yeah. And that's the, I think that's the real essence of the steps. And I think, you know, religious and non-religious can get behind that. I think so. That's why I suggest people and especially people I sponsor, like, yeah, to actually do the steps, you know, I say, you know, reading isn't believing, uh, doing this, understanding this is not going to make you a holy roller. Right. I, that's, I truly think that that's the, the really critical about the steps is that it's not really, it's not so important about what you believe. It's really about what you do. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that's, you know, that's something I, I definitely try to work on every day to varying degrees of success. But at least when it comes, when I come into a meeting, I just, I, at least I have a knowledge of what of what the steps and what AA yep. is. Yeah, and I think it's good too that you have a, a good grounding in the big book and stuff like that. I you know that's one thing we run into in our group. We have a lot of newcomers who've never ever been to another AA meeting. We never read the big book or anything, so a lot of them they don't even know what a big book is. <laughs> so, yeah, no. but it's good. It's good to know, you know, because that's it's, there's some good stuff in there that you can build on. There's a lot of garbage that I don't need, but it's good to know what it's good to know why we have our meetings, you know. Because of mm-hmm. yeah. this is also why, like, I mean, like, again, I didn't really get into this in the article, but I'm in the camp of like, yeah, I'd love, I'd love if we could revise the literature, but yeah, knowing you know, being a GSR and knowing how AA World Services works and the voting process, you know, it's you know, it's the committee of thousands, yeah, trying to change things. So it, it's hardly, you know, I mean, if you've seen the kind of pamphlets and changes we try to get to Grapevine or yeah. get other so that or that awful that awful spirituality pamphlet, which I thought there was actually a better, you know, the thing is that do you think you're different pamphlet from 1976 had a good atheist agnostic story. Mm -hmm. And I just don't understand why they just didn't cut and paste that and put that in that. Yeah. I need to read that pamphlet because I never, you know, I never really been big in the pamphlets, but um, that one, there's some some gems in there. There's the gems throughout there in grapevine. Like I think we have a, you know how like a lot of people like to, like read how, how it works or the ninth mm-hmm. that promises meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we read what I like to call the Bill W. Awesome quote, and it's from the nineteen. And I, you've seen it. It's from like the nineteen forty six issue of the Grapevine. Okay, and it's just a paragraph. It's a paragraph from it. But he, I'm trying to let me see if I can remember it right now. It's like so long as there's the slightest interest in sobriety, the most unmoral, the most yep. antisocial, the most critical alcoholic, they gather around it, but. And a few kindred spirits and announced to us a new AA group has been formed. Mm-hmm. Anti God, anti medicine, anti our recovery program, even anti each other. Yeah. It's rampant individuals are still an AA group if they think so. Like that's, you know, that's the words of Bill W. That's right. Um, I think he had his own issues because he, he, he would write one thing and then write the, the contradictory paragraph two, you know, yeah. two weeks later. Um, and, you know, Definitely, that's, that's definitely troublesome in a lot of ways. That's why I don't rely on his wisdom in Moss. Sure. But I think he had some, like you said, there's some good things in that book, and then a lot of BS. That you have to kind of he lived a long time that. too, really. For I mean, he lived up into his 70s, which I think is a pretty good amount of time. And he was mm-hmm. around AA for a good long time, so he he really evolved. But what's so funny is people pick and choose the Bill W that they want. <laughs> they want yeah, to say represents AA. I mean, I guess we do it too. But I think <laughs> yeah, we, that's I do true. 
I do it more as like kind of not so much as a cudgel, but more just to uh, to shine a, li- a light, you know, yeah. to like, hey, you know, what your Bill W didn't always think like this. And we all well, we're the we're the ones that are right it because it's the one that has evolved that you want. <laughs> yeah, we're the build up. Yeah, we're the <laughs> we're the more, we're the more recent version. Kind of gentler Bill W. You yeah. Know? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, people like I said. But if people want hardcore Bill W, like like That's I yeah, keep them sober. I just think it's more when they try to like. You know, like I said, when they bring their program into your life, that you're yeah. just like, oh, hold on a sec. Right. The steps were helpful. Like, I, I definitely, you know, and like, I don't, like, but if people say, like, I just, I'm now, I have X number of years, I haven't done the steps. I, I don't feel placed to be like, well, you should do the steps because you're not really sober. Like, I don't, I don't People need that. to relax so much about that because uh, those dang steps are really um, nothing more than writing down the ex- experiences that we've had and even if you don't technically quote do them a lot of those things if you really think about them you've probably experienced anyway just by doing the things that are necessary to not drink mm-hmm. and go to meetings and, um, and i've met a lot of people on the steps who still display you know yeah. and it's, it's human, it's human yeah. but you know and it's usually sometimes it's usually the more the more hardcore sometimes are usually you know are also the more pushy and also they're not a magic prescription. They're, they're not like, like you got to do these. And unfortunately, I, I went to a group that kind of got that way. I started off at a really nice, gentle group when I was very first starting out, which was really nice because I needed that. But then after a while, I got to this hardcore group and I stayed there for like 25 years. <laughs> but, yeah, I remember <laughs> you mentioned that. And it was really brave of you to, to go back and, and kind of like uh, – should about say saying goodbye and i think that's very important too yeah when i share like sometimes i, I sometimes i do it i do i'll admit i do do it for shock value to you know to to say it but, but most of the times when i'm sharing about my belief and my approach to the, the steps i say it for the newcomer or for someone who's been there for 20 years who thought they had to follow you know think a certain way in AA. and i i just i think that's why we see a evolving today where people realize oh it's it really is a program of suggestions. I can do it however I want, so long as I stay sober. And yeah. I think that we are watching up. a shift in AA right now. We really, truly are. I think the pendulum swung a little bit too far to the back-to-basic, hardcore <laughs> and people. We, and we spoke up, and that's mm-hmm. the thing. And every time we speak up in a meeting, even and I've gone to some meetings where it's a very traditional crowd, where I've, you know, and I've gotten a cold response from maybe two-thirds of the room. Mm-hmm. But the other third of the room come up and are like thank you for saying that yeah that was really brave i was like or you know cool i was like well i'm just i hey i just i i don't feel so super brave or proud about it i just i just learned they talk about rigorous honesty in this program and rigorous honesty not pretending to believe in something that's the thing i hear from more and more um agnostics is the hardest part about them is they they say hey this is a program of honesty i gotta be freaking honest when i'm sharing in meetings and 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 that's 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 why you know they didn't feel like they were free to have that honesty i think what i was doing because i don't know i honestly didn't have any freaking beliefs whatsoever but i i tried my best to to believe and i actually spoke as i believed i guess i did the fake it till you make it thing but unfortunately everybody thought that i everybody everybody thought that i believed i guess and i thought i i don't know it was weird i was deluded that's what when i read that the god delusion i thought to myself fuck that's right i was totally deluded (laughs) totally deluded but anyway you know that 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 fake it till you make it slogan is the one we should burn. Yeah, you know, I agree. Cool. It's bad. 
you know, that's bad. That's people bad point out, though, hey, well, John, you were sober for 25 years and your life got better. And I said, well, that's true. That's true. Well, mazel tov. That is, that, that, that's good. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I, I didn't need all this extra stuff. I just realized I could have, you know, I'm, I'm actually, and I feel that's one thing I feel grateful about coming into AA at a time when I think agnostic, I came in at the time when I think agnostic AA um, hit a tipping point. Yeah. Uh, so I just really grateful right, to be there. You did. So you started that meeting right around that time. Um, well, you started the meeting before Santa Monica. Before Santa Monica, right when that New York Times article came out. That's right. uh, before, and I think what happened in Toronto uh, sparked a lot of, you know, sparked a lot of it too. I think there's, a, and but it, it for as much as it's, it's uh, people are waking up to it and it, it's gaining more notoriety and traction. There's still so many people in AA who just don't know. They don't. And don't understand, which I guess goes to why I really wrote this article. Like, I mm-hmm. think my article's not so much my drunk a lot. Right. Here, it was just, and it wasn't even kind of, because I think I, I loved a lot of these stories talking about, you know, people's journey through agnostic AA mm-hmm. and how they had traditional AA. And I go to both. I don't, you know, I, I don't, because of, because of these meetings, I'm able to go to the mainstream yeah. people. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, you know, I go along, I'll say this. I have no problem saying this for any prayer. I just don't say the first word. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm lucky. I don't, you don't come, into, come across too many meetings where they run and say the, uh, the Lord's prayer, but right. it happens here too. Yeah. But I, I, I'll, you know, I used to just like leave the circle and join the, the other two people's hands, you know, next to me, be like, I'm out Yeah. Uh, and walk away. Now I just kind of sit there. I'll sit there silently if people want to pray that way. I just not, it's not how I, how I pray. I think, it's also a bit sectarian. It is. It's it's, it's being, you know, the words of Jesus. Yeah. You know, I mean, even though the Serenity Prayer was also written by a Christian monk, there's also a, you know, it's your, it's a little more in line with like living life on life's terms, like a board, you know, grant me the serenity, whatever it is, you know, I find, you know, whether God grants me or I find it, you're asking for the same thing, the serenity, courage, and wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Father just sounds like, you know, Master, pull the puppet strings. Let me know. Yeah, it's not. I don't like it that's, more and more, and I haven't had to say it for a while. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's less and less. But there's yeah. people who still say it. It's all good, and I like the you know I like the me version of the sorority prayer that at a regular reading. I'm cool with it. Yeah. Um, but so I guess back to the article. I uh, just wanted to write, just kind of like you know, because I guess I guess going back to people saying like, what is a uh, what's an agnostic meeting? I don't know mm-hmm. what they are. What mm-hmm. do you guys do? And I'm like, it's just like any other AA meeting. We just don't pray. And then right. I also realized that there were just two other main criteria. One being, you know, not every meeting does this, but I think they read a variation of the about us that can be found on the Agnostic AA NYC website. Right. So the, this, the Agnostic AA preamble? Yeah. yeah. I don't like calling it a preamble because it causes confusion, you know. Right. It, there's only one AA preamble. And I'm like, oh, it's a sub-preamble. Or our, mission. <laughs> our mission statement, yeah. Uh, you know, this group. <laughs> Change the tradition of free expression, expressing yep. a doubt and disbeliefs. Uh, we don't endorse any form of religion uh, or atheism. And mm-hmm. the last line, the best note to we're, our mission is to assure suffering of all that they can find AA. Yeah. Uh, without having to accept anyone else's beliefs or deny their own. Um, and I think that's just something. I, I think traditional AA can allude to that. And there's, you know, like I said, there's meetings where you go and you can say whatever you want, and it's mm-hmm. the warm and receptive and you go and say another me- another meetings and you'll don't want to talk to you at the end or the worst they'll give you the finger right 
tell you, you need to do X, Y, not that finger, the, the pointing at the pointing you. at your finger. Okay. Gotcha. Well, they might give you the other finger. Too. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an AA meeting. Anything. Sure. So it was just important to like have that, you know, have some, even, even if it's not that verbatim. And I guess one aside is like back when we were talking about, you know, trying to vote to change literature, actually, I, I might suggest this through GS, you know, general service channels. Yeah. Um, instead of going for revising the big book or uh-huh. getting our own pamphlet, I would just love it if they could, if general service office would take that or general service conference would take that about us card and make that like an official AA card that if yeah. you're in a no prayer meeting, you know, this is like officially a, this is official. You don't know. So meetings have the option to say, Hey, you know, we're, you can express your doubts and disbeliefs here. There's no closing prayers. And it just becomes an official, you know, publication from AA. I think that's, I think that's a good idea. We, um, you know, honestly, it doesn't really matter what the general service conference approves, you know, technically for what you do in your meeting, but it does kind of give you that stamp of approval. Say, see, we're official. See, they, they like us. We're okay. You know, we can do this. And it goes back. And, uh, the other thing, you know, the, the other component is, you know, we, we keep the big book and the 12 and 12 on the shelf. We don't really, we don't poo poo it. Right. Uh, I personally, when I did the steps uh, with my second sponsor, I, you know, we did, he, he was suggested we do the big book in 12 and 12, and that was cool. And I suggested uh, also reading the alternative 12 steps by yeah. Dr. Cleveland at RLSG, which is a great book. That's a really good book. It is. Grateful to Roger and everyone in Toronto for reviving it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we basically, you know, in reading those the 12 and 12 and the all 12 in tandem, it definitely helped me, you know, get through it. But it also, my sponsor who's traditional. So also, it also opened his, eye, you know, opened his eyes a little wider to some things. It gave him a new perspective. And he really appreciated it. Mm-hmm. And he actually said he would use it with other sponsors, you know, you know, traditional people, traditional AA as, yeah. as a, he kind of called it like a graduate level text, like people who's worked with this next second, <laughs> third time. There's some, there's some yeah. gems in, yeah. as far as, because I always say it's like a, for me, it's like it's not. I don't have so much a problem with the God stuff these days. I find when I read the literature, I have more of a problem with like what I like to call the Bill stuff. Okay, you know the 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 kind of schizophrenic. I mean, I actually I'm not the label him schizophrenic, right. but that like, double talking chauvinistic. Yeah, 1930s. You know, put up right. or shut up language. I think you know, which I think spawns like the UAB and that kind of thinking. It does. So there was something about the kinder general kinder, gentler approach by two women wrote this in the 90s uh, to interpret the steps. And it works for any fellowship, too. So I I vibe with that. Even though it's not official AA, I like to, when I work with sponsees, I suggest reading that book as well. It helps. Yep. And then the most important uh, component is there's just no prayer at the end. Yeah. We have, um, it's funny, too, because I was talking with someone, uh, I started another meeting at that same church. The I think you got an email for that. It's the it's the, what the comedy I call it called the comedy variety show. Oh we yeah, do show and it's a meeting where you know people can come and everybody shares. There's no speaker. There's no reading. Everybody just shares for five minutes, and we let people tell jokes or sing a song or do whatever. Or just share regularly. It's still an A meeting if they just need to share. Huh. Like, That's pretty cool. Know. I remember seeing the flyer for that. I thought that was pretty neat. And at that meeting, because I'm, I'm doing it with some other people at other meetings, like we're, it's not an agnostic meeting. We close with the serenity prayer, but when we close, people sit, we don't join, get up and join hands. People just say it in their seats. Yeah. Okay. Which a lot of meetings do too. So it's cool. So it gives people the option, you know, to pray or not pray and not feel. Yeah. Like join in. 
I remember someone from the Agnostic said, well, why don't you listen to the Agnostic AA website? It's, um, well, it's not really an agnostic group. I mean, you know, it's in spirit. It is. And I, there's a lot of me. I also call meetings like agnostic in spirit or closeted agnostic groups in mm-hmm. New York that you go to. And even though they pray and have the steps on the wall, people definitely speak their mind freely. There's a lot of that in New York. Yeah. There's a lot of people who I, you know, I tend to believe and have come, have come out and said that they're just atheist or agnostic. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, but they still, they don't mind the words. And a lot of people are like that. I think we're the most uh, stubborn of, uh, of AAs. Yeah. And my, I remember my sponsor asking me, he's like, well, what do you think this is? He asked me like just offhand, like what I think the success rate of the people who go to agnostic meetings are and people who don't do the steps or don't believe in God. And I said, I think I, I can't, I have no, no data, but I think it's pretty high from the ones that I, the people that keep coming back are the same people I see. And I realized this, like, if you're stubborn about your beliefs, you'll be stubborn about your sobriety. Yeah. So I think there's definitely, you know, there's that, too. Well, um, we certainly have people that um, have found sobriety at our at our meeting that were not finding it at others. And I, I've heard them say it, it's just easier for them when they when they feel like they're comfortable just being themselves. Exactly. That's that's exactly it. And I definitely, I know I have a stubborn streak in me, so I'm, I wasn't going to drink and I, I wasn't going to believe in God. And so far both are working. Your suggestion about kind of referring to our meetings as no prayer meetings. Yeah, I, well, that's, I, that's I, re- I remember, um, Ed, that the New York intergroup website used to have them listed. I believe I might be wrong. used to have them listed as non-prayer meetings, but now they're using this different um, program, which I'm familiar with. Uh, it's a pretty cool um, program they use for their meetings. And they have just a drop down. They now have it as atheist agnostic. They have it as atheist agnostic. And I, you know, I think some people are definitely happy that like uh, uh, AA organization in New York are calling them atheist meetings as well uh-huh. as agnostic. I hear that a lot too, because I think that was people like these. People would say, oh, they should call these atheist meetings because most of us are atheists. Only some of us are agnostic. I mean, right. that's subject to debate, but I was more, I was like, you know, what we do that, I think the main, like I said, the main, um, the main criteria of any, of a, of an agnostic no prayer meeting is no prayer. No praying. You know, people were not, you know, no, even if you don't read the, uh, the, the preamble to right. what we are, if you don't pray at the end, it, it just makes, no matter what people believe or don't believe. You are so right. That is absolutely the essence of it. And and it makes the all the difference in the world. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you believe. It's just that, hey, if you want to pray, go do that. You know, do it yeah. wherever you want to do it. But you don't, we don't do it here. We don't do it here so everybody can feel comfortable. Absolutely. It just, God, it takes so much pressure off. It makes it, I just love it. Exactly. That 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 and is like a good way to to because like, like it's almost like non-smoking meeting, non-prayer mm-hmm. meeting. And here's I guess, and here's another argument for you know agnostic AA being quote unquote more traditional than mainstream AA mm-hmm. is that you know I think you know instead of reading a prayer that was written by Reinhold Niebuhr mm-hmm. or arguably Jesus Christ, <laughs> you know we read. The responsibility statement, or say "live and let live," and these were all written by AA, arguably by Bill W. or yeah, people in the conference. But you know, all, all everything that the things that we close with, the things that we choose to read, more often than not, still come from AA. There's yeah. it's still it's more AA than most AA in some ways. You know, um, at our group, we don't do any kind of group recitation of any kind, and that's kind of my fault because. Um, when I when I left my old home group, for some reason I got I was like 
totally freaked out by the group um, chants and the group, um, oh, all that kind of stuff. It just really bugged me. Okay. So we don't do, do that anymore. <laughs> it can feel a little culty. I, I, yeah. I admit. And I also, and also a lot of times like live and let live, like with the one thing about the serenity prayer is like someone says God and everybody else says God. And yeah, you know, there's that call and response when everybody joined hands and say live and let live. It's kind of awkward. And some groups have voted to get rid of it because of that. Yeah. And, I, but at Ungodly Hour, we just we have a little call and response where, every, as everybody joins hands, uh-huh. joins hands, the chair yells, "Keep it simple," uh-huh. and then everybody goes, "Live and let live." So that kind of gives that kind of call and response cadence. Yeah, and I should so, relax a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a little bit of ritual, a little bit of you know. I mean, the exception of like you know passing on germs. It's, yeah, it's, it's nothing. Right. Yeah, just touch someone. Yeah, I, yeah. not. So some meetings have gone with that. Some meetings just close with the – sometimes, like, I always say, like, the meetings that close completely cold, like someone reads the responsibility that, statement and just get up and leave. It, it kind of feels like that last episode of The Sopranos. Yeah. Well, that's how that's of, what we did. And we've had talks about it because that's how we close our meetings. We say, okay, meeting's over now. That's it. You know? Yeah. Even and, if it's – yeah. <laughs> I find the, the one that the, the Greenpoint Agnostics meeting up in uh, Greenpoint Reformed Church, Monday nights, 815, another great agnostic meeting in Brooklyn uh, – they uh, they just voted to do instead of closing with holding hands and living I live. They just basically someone reads the responsibility statement and at the last three words everybody joins in. I am responsible. Yeah. And I what I like about that is there's a simplicity to it. It's just like you know you don't know you don't have to memorize the entire responsibility statement when you go there. Someone's going to read it and yeah. all you know they say I am responsible at the beginning and all you have to remember to say it. Everybody say it again at the end. Yeah. And that's I think for me what agnostic no prayer secular aa is is the simplicity of aa it's a it's yes. the simplest most basic fundamental type of aa meeting without you know without all this other litany and liturgy that's yep. been built up around it so that's why and that's why my, my if, you know i know a lot of people like to call it call it secular mm-hmm. i personally like agnostic for some reason you call them agnostic meetings because of the historical context from the We Agnostics group. And that's why yeah. the We Agnostics chapter and the We Agnostics group, and that's become kind of like the a term of art inside AA. But it's still confusing to a lot of people both inside Agnostic AA and in mainstream AA. Yeah. And so, and secular is a great, you know, a great academic term. But, you know, A is about, you know, keeping it simple. I think the way I think, I think that the meetings themselves, like in meeting directories, if you want to give them like a, what type of meeting it is, I would say, I'd say non-prayer meeting would be the best description of the meeting itself. But if you talk about, um, like, I think that we should have like, you know, they have gay and lesbian AA or whatever they have. I think that, I think there needs to be some, something out there that has the word agnostic and atheist. Yeah, because the the LGBT meetings always say, you know, LGBT friendly, all are welcome. Right. I'd love to say that these are no prayer meetings, but for purposes of Waftiac or other conferences, like, yeah, it's where the agnostics, atheists. There you go. It could be agnostic, so, atheist friendly, maybe. You know, something like but, that. You know, I don't know. I would, I, but I would also be comfortable just calling it like the no prayer meetings conference. Like, yeah. You know, for, for all you alcoholics, let's go to no prayer meetings. Here's your conference. Yeah. I um, mean, there's a lot but, of people but, out there, whether they believe or not believe, that just like to, don't want to freaking pray at an AA meeting. I, I know people who, uh, who go to our, you know, go to our some of our meetings. Uh, who are have firm beliefs in God, maybe mm-hmm. not, you know, Catholic Christian, right? But who have a firm concept of a higher power, but also came into agnostic AA 
because of things like the unsolicited advice brigade telling them what to do mm-hmm. or kind of feeling their program was a little stale and just wanted a fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's the, that was more, I mean, that's more my thinking, you know, an argument behind, you know, calling this no prayer. So it's yeah. not, we're not limiting it to just the agnostic atheist. Yeah. That makes sense atheist. to me. And then it, it also kind of, kind of like lowers or, or turns the volume down a lot of the infighting about who's agnostic atheist or free thinking. Not that there's yes. a lot of our inside our camp, but there is some of that. There is, there, there's, there is, we do have that a little bit of a, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of crazy sometimes, but yeah, we do have that within us. It's going to be interesting. Are you going to go to Austin to the, I will be going to Austin. I, I got things keeping me here in New York, including um, my home group, and then okay. you know on Friday nights and a, <laughs> a meeting I just helped start on Saturday night. So oh, okay. I, I made a decision not to uh, not to attend, but hopefully I'll go to one of them soon, and maybe yeah. it may be the one in a. Hopefully, it will be one in New York or close. Yeah. Or close by well, I bet you anything uh, that they'll, you'll you'll start seeing some more regional uh, agnostic conventions, and I think they should really do one in in the New York area. I, I've been, I mean, I've been a, I've been a proponent of that myself, and I'd hopefully, when I and some others get the time, if we could just have like a one day, you know, workshop of yeah. you know, like an agnostic no prayer meeting, see if we yep. ever get together and say, hey, here's you know, you know, have our own. Like New York Inner Group has this thing called the big meeting at the New York Hilton Hotel, and it's great. It's like. Oh, like three thousand people in a you know Christ. hotel conference. I can't even freaking imagine that two-hour meeting on a Sunday, and I think it's in July wow. or June. Like usually around, it's usually around AA's birthday. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And that's great. And for me, I mean, realistically, if we could just have like you know a room that holds you know one to two hundred people yeah. and have a you know four-hour conference, you know meeting and conference and Q and A session about what agnostic A is and open it to everybody in the program or yep. in the fellowship you should and definitely do it i think it's just good to carry the message like don't drink go to meetings do whatever you know work the steps and do whatever else you have to to stay sober if something's not working leave it on the shelf yeah. uh for someone else or until it starts working for you yep but uh yeah the most important thing is don't drink and uh reach you know work with, you know work with or talk to someone else and don't listen drink, go to meetings work with others okay. yeah I'm definitely for the kinder, gentler AA. I definitely, I think this is, and I, you know, we know we're kind of all aware that this is the part of, you know, this is the, the arm of AA that's growing. Yeah. And, uh, I, I hope one day, I think, I think within years, you know, decades time, this will evolve, you know, there won't be any need for calling it agnostic or no prayer AA because there'll be, you know, most meetings I think will be just like this, you know, yeah. there'll be, there'll be more, uh, if, you know, more secular no prayer AA meetings than there will be the more traditional ones. That's yeah. just a prediction. It could be dead wrong on it. I think you're and, right. But either way, it's uh, just I'm just happy that I got to talk to you for an oh, hour. I'm so glad to drink. Before you leave, I want to ask you about something. Did you do the? Did you make the meeting map of the New York meetings with the Google Maps? I did the yeah. I did the New York meeting with the Google Maps. That is so cool. That I was, like yeah. that. You know. And, uh, it's have you ever gone to the meeting helpful. directory at WAF Central? Have you ever seen that? I have. I've looked at it a few times. Okay, I've, I've, I, I just I do that one, and I just redid it. I'm using the same damn program that the New York Intergroup uses for for the oh, meetings. Cool. It works really, really well. I'll um, have to check it out. And now we're working on. I'm work, there's this guy in England who's like a software programmer, and he is helping me set up a map 
where what you do is like if you don't have an a if you don't have an agnostic AA meeting in your city, you can actually place a pin on the map, right? And then someone else will go there and say, "Oh, there's someone that wants to start a meeting oh, in Kalamazoo." That's and, cool. That's like that would that's like the map version of start with a coffee pot. Yeah. So we're working on that. We're hoping to have that. We're getting ready to test it. But that's great. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, aside from just you know talking about AA as a whole, I'm kind of like I like what the local the intergroups and central offices do, and I don't think they should go away. No, but I have. I would I would hope that over time that the listing and mapping functions of meetings become more centralized. Like yes. if GSO were to take it over and say, you know, we're not going to vet meetings. We're going to, you know, just like Bill said, you know, an AA meeting if you say so. Well, this you know, program, that the, New, this program yeah. the New York Intergroup is using, it's, it's, right. it was started by this guy. I think he's in San Jose. And it's really, really cool because what what he does, all these other different intergroups are using that program, okay, that's a plug-in or whatever. You, you don't even have to have a WordPress site. Any site could use it, okay? Well, what it does is all of those meetings, every intergroup that uses that program, all that data feeds into this app that this guy runs, okay? Yeah. So if every single intergroup in North America or the world, for that matter, used that program – all of those meetings would feed All into one central app. Which is probably a little better than my idea of having one central office run it. If, if all the, it's kind of like Facebook or any other social, you know. Yeah, you could still network, have. Social media platform where all these different organizations are feeding into one list. That would be great. But that is a really good format that he has. And he's updating it all the time. And he, he does a really good job with it. Um, so um, I'd yeah, see other intergroups do that. You know, I always... I guess I'll close on this. People, a lot of people in the uh, in our our meetings who don't do the program or believe will always say, "Well, I'm not really part of the program. I'm part of the fellowship." Yeah, and to to an extent, that's that's an honest statement. But I always say, you know, the program is not just the twelve steps. You know, we're still part of a program. You know, right. a time like we don't just like magically appear and start a meeting. You know, out of nowhere, it's like. Right. We definitely have it. We we get a room, we find a time, and we we list it and tell people we promote it mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. And that time and place is very essential to is is a pro you know it's part of the program. It's part it of you know like just like a program for a play or a or any kind of social event. You know they'll say oh we're meeting here at this time. Yep. And I'm very that's why like I have I keep a very extensive email list and I shoot out whenever I get information mm-hmm. uh, for any AA meeting or change. I make sure to just like let everybody know this is the time, this is the place. Yep. I'm glad you know, that you do I'm that. I'm ex- glad that you keep me on that yeah. list, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm not expecting people to show up. I just, you know, if people are free to come or go as they please, it's AA, but at least, you know, but no, you know, I, I want to kind of eliminate people saying, Oh, I never knew about this. I'm like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I and I, I want that's why like I love the fact that the central offices and GSO are, are evolving on finally in, entering the 21st century. Finally, on the the platform. So not just meetings, but can't meeting cancellations, location yep. changes, yep, special events. It also you should also just go to like one platform and, and find it all. Yeah, and that would make things a lot easier. And I'm glad we're I'm glad we're uh, 
slowly but surely at AA's pace getting there. Yeah. Well, your inner group is doing a good job. I get got to get the Kansas City inner group to start using this format. But anyway. All right, Ed. It was good talking to you. I enjoyed that. That was wonderful. Thank you so much, Sean. It's just a pleasure to speak. And uh, to everybody out there listening, don't drink and go to meetings. <laughs> All right. All right. And thanks for listening. Thanks, Ed. Take care. Well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the program. We'll be back next week with another episode featuring Coach C. Until then, you all take care and be well.